The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello everyone and welcome to the Provoke podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, Provoke's EMEA editor in London and I'm here still with rather a lot of snow outside my window which was at least a change of lockdown scene at sorts. Um, I'm joined today by two of the biggest data measurement and analytics geeks in the PR industry and I say that with enormous fondness for them both. Um, first up we have Daryl Sparry who left Hotwire last year to start his own consultancy Hard Numbers along with Paul Stollery. Um, Daryl was named as one of our Innovator 25 from MIA in 2020 for which I wrote a little blurb that actually serves as quite a good introduction so I'm just going to skim read that. I, I described him, this is rather too flattering I think Daryl now you're actually on the, on the end of the line. Daryl's single-minded focus on ensuring every element of comm strategy and every piece of activity leads directly to solid business outcomes for clients, sets him apart in an industry which still too often grapples with effective measurement. Um, He's a business person with a sales background first and a PR professional second, which makes him ruthless in planning and measuring work for clients and is also unafraid of looking beyond PR in solving clients' business problems, doing everything from SEO to community management. Hard Numbers has quickly become one of the most noteworthy of the many ex-Hartwire alumni, immediately picking up clients from early stage startups to established MarTech and FinTech players in pitches against much bigger and more established global firms. Um, Daryl started his career in media monitoring, uh, leading an MBO of Media Report and then selling it to Precise, which is now Kantar, before segueing into digital marketing um, with MediaWorks and then Hotwire. Daryl, welcome to the Provoke podcast. Thank you very much. I don't know what I did to deserve such a very kind uh, introduction. I'm sure you left a lot out. Uh, (laughs) It's far less flattering. (laughs) That's not everything I know. That's the trick of journalism. What does she also know about him? Um, uh, Also on the pod today is Richard Bagnell, CEO for Europe and the Americas of Measurement Gurus Karma and chair of AMEC, the International Association for Measurement and Evaluation of Communications. These are the guys behind the AMEC framework, which is used worldwide by agencies and in-house teams to evaluate PR programs. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, how are you both doing in lockdown personally? I know we had a little chat about this before I pressed record. So, we, I mean, you know, can, can summarise how crap things are. <laughs> Daryl, how are you? How's the family doing? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think it's been harder uh, this lockdown maybe than the previous lockdowns because um, it's difficult to know when when the end is is in sight. And and I think it's been particularly hard on my my fiance Rachel. You know, she's juggling an, an awful lot, and I think she's um, she's found it tough in particular. But uh, you know, um, we keep our heads down and, and and keep doing what we're doing and. Um, very hopeful in the not too distant future things can start getting back to some form of normalcy. Yeah, I think we're all feeling the same. This is such a social industry and it's really, I think everyone's really feeling it now. It's just not, it's, there's not enough fun. There's nothing in the diary, which I'm finding really difficult, but there we are, we will get there. Rich, how are things for you at the moment? Uh, yeah, I think, thank you for asking. I think much, much the same. It's, it's definitely feeling like a grind this time. It's lost its novelty. Obviously we've lost the nice weather. Uh, we're all stuck at home. It, it felt like the end was in sight and then it feels a bit like that's been snatched away from us with these new variants and potential extra risk there. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm bearing up. I'm, I'm, I'm 
fed up, but I'm bearing up. Um, I'm grateful with lots of things that I have in life. I'm grateful that uh, my son's at an age that he's uh, he's responding well. He's he's actually a joy. He's homeschooling uh, with Marion, my wife. Thomas is five, um, and I think he's he's quite unaffected. Although he 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 asks questions that just really tug at the heart from time to time about when he can see his um, friends and that kind of stuff. But look, we've got a laptop, we've got broadband. My wife was actually in the process of changing jobs when the pandemic erupted. And so she's put her career on hold to be able to, to, to homeschool him um, as well. So I think in the grand scheme of things, you know, grateful and, and lucky and trying to keep it in perspective, but also pissed off. Yeah, I think that's probably the juggling act everyone's trying to do at the moment, isn't it? It, it really is rubbish, but, you know, one must keep buggering on, as Churchill used to say. Exactly. Um, I realised uh, as I was kind of writing my notes for the for the pod, I don't, you guys have known each other for quite a while. I have no idea how you first got together. When did you meet? Uh, I'll take this. <laughs> I uh, I was a young uh, sales director of, uh, of Precise, the media monitoring company, and Richard was a was a competitor. And uh, it is of of great. Uh, it shows what a gentleman and what a decent human being Richard is. That I did not behave my best the first time we we met one another, and I was um, something of a dick to Richard, to be to be fair. And uh, and I've I've done a lot of growing up and apologising. Uh, over the years subsequently and, and as I say it's a tremendous uh, it speaks volumes to Richard's character that um, not only has he tolerated my uh, me subsequently but he's he's grown to be um, a great friend and uh, something of a um, un, what's the right word maybe the uh, uh, an un um, not 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 confirmed mentor you know he has he hasn't volunteered himself for that role for me but he's been uh, <laughs> Someone that I've uh, gone to for advice um, uh, throughout, you know, the latter stage of my career. So uh, he's a tremendous director too. We we've known each other a long time, and thank you, Daryl. That's very very kind. But you know, so I was MD of Metrica. Daryl was at, at Precise, and we were, you know, it was a different world then, and we were we were tough competitors. And the Precise boys always gave us a hard run for our money, and um, we 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 took the view that. Um, the focus on on us was a was a form of flattery, and that we would we would you know just concentrate on doing doing the best that that we could. But you know, tough competition breeds uh, fun moments, and uh, I've always had the utmost respect for Daryl as a as a businessman and a professional, and it's been fantastic to see what he's achieved since moving on from Precise as well, of course. That's very, very generous. It sounds a bit like Millwall versus West Ham back in the <laughs> Arsenal, please, Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good derby. way of characterising it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong London derby. Okay, now, much as I love hanging out with you both in general, um, we are here for a reason. Um, and you both recently worked together on a new report, Coverage and Capital, which rather thrillingly um, makes a link in hard numbers, see what I did there? Nice. Between media coverage and the amount of funding startups attract, which is an angle I haven't seen before. Um, now, obviously pro proving the effectiveness of PR has been a bit of an awkward itch, shall we say, that the industry has been trying to scratch for decades. Tell me why you put the report together and how you did the analysis. Richard, I'll start with you on that one. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, I 
leapt at the opportunity of Karma working with Hard Numbers and with, with Daryl because um, we're all about moving the industry on from, from counting metrics, which are easy to count, those vanity metrics, to proving effectiveness in a meaningful way. And, and, and more than ever now, the PR sector has to show that it isn't just a cost center. Any cost center, when a finance director is, is looking at budgets, is gonna have a red line put through it. It's gonna be reduced. Uh, there are gonna be questions, awkward questions asked about how can we save money um, on, on this line item. If PR just counts activity and just does uh, tactics and activity-driven metrics and reports in silly numbers, um, it will just be seen as the cost center and it's in a lot of trouble. It has to show its value to the organization. And that means you have to be able to demonstrate that the work that you have done has driven um, the numbers that matter to that organization. And with Daryl's business being built around exactly that, it was such a great opportunity and it was a real pleasure for us to work with him um, in terms of, of, of supporting what they were um, looking to do so that's 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 why uh, we wanted to be involved and what what were you actually looking for how did you what were you trying to analyze and how did you practically put the report together okay so we went back in time so karma has a global media database and we went back over two and a half years uh, but only focus on on the uk media looking at content between january 2018 and July 2020. Um, and Daryl and his crew had uh, researched 100 UK HQ'd um, companies that had undertaken a Series B fundraising in that time period. So we searched, uh, we searched for them, we looked at their uh, content and, and we did what Calm is well known for. So we, we used a blend of uh, our automation to do the heavy lifting, to go through all this content, find the relevant content, uh, do the first uh, sifting of it, a cleaning of it, if you like. Um, and then we blended it with, with some human, um, uh, human interpretation as well to make sure that the content was clean and it was relevant. Uh, and it was talking specifically about these, these companies that had raised a Series B uh, fundraising in that time period. Um, and then we were able to look over time at these different organizations, how much content that they had generated, and then to compare that against the uplift between their Series A fundraising and their Series B fundraising, and look to see if there was links between those that had significant amounts of coverage and the amount of money that was raised and, and those that had less coverage and the amount of money that was raised. And what did you find? We found... We'll go. I can pick up the results yeah. if you like, uh, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, what we did is we, we bucketed the companies up into three cohorts. So the ones that saw a big increase in their funding between the first round and the second round, one that was greater, a uh, greater increase of uh, 5,000%. Those that saw a medium, medium increase in their funding uh, between the first round and the second round, so between 250 and 5,000%. And then those that had a lower increase in funding, so less than 250 the companies that had the biggest increase in funding also saw the highest average volume of coverage. So that was over 200 articles per company that we looked at on average in that highest um, uh, fundraising increase cohort. 
the middle cohort had an average of around 175 articles per company, um, the time period we looked at, and then the, the lowest had the lowest average volume per company, so 156 per company. So we basically found a correlation between the amount of media coverage and media interest that a company saw and an increase in their, their fund uh, fundraise between their, their first fundraising round and their, and their subsequent Series B fundraising round. Were, were you expecting that? Were there any surprises in what you found there? Well, I mean, you know, clearly you're, you're pointing to the PR company finds link between investment in PR and positive <laughs> outcome for, for businesses. Um, but that, I, I mean, we when we started this analysis, we hoped that we would find something that pointed in this direction. I think one of the things that was most surprising to us is it was actually as, as, as striking as, as it was, you know, when, when we looked at, you know, and this was looking at 120 companies you know, over over the course of a you know two two and a half year period, so it was not an insignificant sample size that we that we looked at. So, you know, I think um, we were we were delighted. You know, when we when we when we found what we found, and and um, you know, it was definitely something that we were we were uh, you know really happy to that the data was telling the story that we thought might be the case, but we didn't we didn't know. And was there any difference between different sectors? I mean, what sorts of companies across the board you're looking at, presumably, between Series A and Series B funding? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. In the report, there is some breakdown, both B2B and B2C, and then more, more deeply in terms of different verticals. So when you look B2B and B2C, actually, the, the B2C uh, effect is even more pronounced. So the um, fundraising increase is even, even greater than B2B. Um, and the uh, the gap, the difference between the volume of coverage that the um, uh, the uh, the that highest uh, fundraising increase cohort that we looked at versus the, the kind of bottom um, of the list, you know that 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 uh, was most stark as well. So I think there's a few things, you know, uh, there's a few things that that points to. But the capital requirements, particularly of, of building a B2C brand, you know, it's more expensive than building a B2B brand. So, you know, it's it's correlation, it's not causation. You'd expect these companies to need more money because it's more expensive to address that, you know, that kind of bigger market and maybe use a, a different a broader marketing mix. Um, but it was it was that was definitely something that um, was striking. The other thing when we looked sector by sector is we found that fintech and drug discovery, for example, were, were two fields where this was really this effect was really pronounced as well. So we found that um, you know fintech companies in particular were um, you know media coverage machines. You know they were the uh, the uh, second biggest uh, cohort in terms of the volume of coverage that um, that we were looking at, just behind business productivity software. Companies and and there were more fintech companies in the uh, list of the companies that saw the highest increase between their Series A and Series B than any other uh, sector. So that was and Richard, what about for you? Was there anything striking um, apart from what Daryl's picked out in the findings from the report? Yeah, I don't I don't think surprises. Um, per se, as you'd expect, there were some outliers on 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 the data. Um, 
you know, if you, if if the listeners would download the report, they'd see it for themselves. There's a, a company called Contract Pod, uh, which is a business productivity software uh, business that had a sixteen thousand percent increase in its funding um, between between Series A and B, but there wasn't uh, a very high amount of of coverage there. And I think it's the sort of reasons that that Daryl was just explaining. But um, you know that that doesn't surprise me. But when we looked at the content, what was very clear that this content um, is mainly PR-generated uh, coverage, as you'd expect for these type of organisations that don't have sophisticated sales teams, don't have uh, large marketing and advertising above-the-line budgets. Um, and you know, it it shows the power of PR, something that we at Karma believe passionately in. And um, you know, we don't doubt the power of PR. What we are just so keen to help. Um, PR professionals to do is to demonstrate it in a meaningful way because that is the big battle uh, I think that is that is facing us as as economies get get harder to operate in. Mm. Uh, we, I mean yes sowing it in this kind of cold hard cash <laughs> uh, dynamic is really really interesting actually isn't it like I said I haven't seen haven't seen this before but it does it does it, it's kind of noteworthy isn't it and what sort of response have you had since the report came out a few weeks ago now so what what sort of response have you had to it has it generated a lot of interest yeah it's been it's been great to be honest um in the first week alone since we when we launched the report we had um you, you know that I like hard numbers so of course I uh, have a bit my fingertips we had uh, 41 people download the report just in the first week alone and there was a pretty even split actually between agency and in-house folk so that makes me think that this is being used by um a, a, you know to help make the case for investment um, in PR and communications across the board both you know in-house and with other agencies and that's cool with us you know we we um we wanted to create an asset that would be used across the industry to help justify um, and make the business case for investment in, in PR and communications. And so we're delighted that it's being used by so many people you know, across the industry. And there's some great case studies as well that really bring it to life and stop it. Cause you actually spoke to people, didn't you? There's a, there's a lot of nice um, qualitative uh, research in there as well. Daryl, do you want to pick out one or two that really stand out for you? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think the case studies are one of the, um, you know, the highlights, and that that is as a result of the wonderful people who very kindly gave us their, their time to give us some of their insights. You know, the case study from Saitora about category creation is is brilliant, to be honest. Um, uh, to, to Max Pepe from Saitora, I've basically quoted sections of it more or less verbatim in pitches and uh, university lecture to, lectures that I've done uh, since the report came out to make me sound clever. Um, basically, the, the principle behind it is that research done by Harvard Business Review or the impact of category that category creators have in markets, that uh, the, the companies that rather than create an incrementally better product than the existing incumbents, just try and chisel away at their market share from them, create an entirely new category for their products and then reframe how their prospects think about those products. And these category kings typically attract 76% of the investment and value in any market. Um, and, it, it, and I know from discussions with the investors in some of our clients that it's one of the most popular themes in the venture capital industry currently. You know, people want to invest in the category creators. Um, the second case study that I'm, I'm proud of, and it's a plug for our hard numbers client, but they're our, our first and our longest standing client, so they have a very special place in our, our heart, is, is FOSS. 
Um, there's a case study from them in the, the report. And, you know, they are actively uh, creating and promoting a new category of product. So that's a point of sale, which is software only, works on Android devices and doesn't need any external hardware to, to take cash payment. So the challenge is actually driving awareness of the solution as well as <clears throat> the awareness of, of them as a, as a business. And their CEO, Brad Hyatt, is quoted extensively in the, um, in the case study and talked about how they use their fundraise to kind of launch themselves in, in the UK um, and then, uh, you know, have gone on to consistently drive home the message around, around what they do and how they do it, which has which been great. But there's also great case studies in there from Zarina Banu from Curve, Joe Candy from Crowdcube, Ed Hodges, Ed, Ed Hodges from Hello Done, Amir Jabandi from Papercup, who all very kindly contributed their uh, case studies and time and effort on this report. So what, what are the key takeaways for me from this? What, what do you think are the, are the actions that agencies and their clients can actually take after reading this report? I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's reassuring and it's a great data, but what do you do next? I think it's three things for, for me. Uh, I think media coverage for early stage businesses really can move the dial. It's the most cost-effective way for them to build a brand, particularly for time-poor in-house teams that maybe don't have a lot of marketing experience. It provides them with great third-party endorsement for the business that then can then be merchandised across the social channels, the website in an NLA compliant way, of course, uh, you know, sales collateral, email marketing, et cetera, that they can really make most. And secondly, Alternative forms of funding rock. You know, we love the team at Crowdcube. Um, the case study from Crowdcube is, is great in there. And crowdfunding is a way to not just raise money, but um, create an army of advocates for your brand and get them to, uh, you know, promote, promote the brand externally is, is really cool. Um, and then thirdly, you know, category creators can through the, the, the most value. You know, it's difficult to do and achieve. It takes consistency of messaging and approach different channels but you need to be in it you need to be in it for the long haul and senior leadership need to commit to it but if you can define create and promote the category you operate in then uh then there's there's uh, vc gold uh in them their hills mm. <laughs> okay and and i i mean that those are the sort of specifics i'd, I'd say at a thirty thousand foot view it it you know the message i would say coming out of here is to the industry is look guys it really is wake up time um measurement matters we're seeing a huge uplift in interest in 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 measuring but um there are there are risks out there for people who don't take the time to think about it and engage with it properly there's a huge amount of vendors selling um solutions that are dashboard base there's there's charts and dashboards and portals galore and i know most people are getting fed up of taking phone calls from salesmen offering some new monitoring and analytics product but you can't assume that a a dashboard and and, and charts and vendors can do the thinking for you we need to think through as pr professionals very clearly what is it that we're trying to achieve how is it that we support organizational objectives how can we really show that the work that we do is adding value. And, and this report um, clearly shows the value in terms of funding raised, but there are other ways that, that, that value can be created for organizations. Um, I was thinking for some, some of the clients and the work that we do at Karma, we're working with uh, Honda on a international piece of work 
where we're really helping them show the link between the media relations, the social content that it drives, how that feeds through into um, search around their brands and their products through to visits to their website, how that then filters down through to um, car configurator builds on the website and how that then leads on to, to sales. Um, and it's linking those things together that really demonstrates um, the, power of, the power of PR. And that type of stuff you need to engage with, you need to think about, um, and you can't just take a back seat. You know, 2021 is the year for the PR industry to really get engaged with meaningful measurement. Mm. Well, there's a soundbite for you. Thank you, Richard, that's, that's brilliant. Are you gonna, is this a one-off? Is there value in repeating it and, and tracking progress, do you think? I'd like to do it. I mean, ask Richard if he wants to work with us again on this. But I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to do something like this again. I'd love to go back and look at you know companies again. You know, maybe in a in a, in a sort of six months to a years hence, um, uh, and look at similar company research. I'd love to get a bit more granular about things. I'd love to look at more data inputs like social media, um, you know, the amplification of the coverage that they got, that these businesses got on, on social. I'd like to look at, you know, any other, you know, data inputs that we could bring in to try to make a, a slightly, you know, more, more uh, detailed and kind of granular picture of all of the different um, things that these businesses were doing to promote themselves. I'd love to um, create something that maybe isn't just a report as well, that's maybe a bit more of an interactive Asset, you know, we're we're an early stage business, so we we had to be a little bit quick and dirty about how we how we went about doing this. But um, you know, we're doing well currently, and and you know, we can hopefully invest more in in making more of this as an asset in, in future as well. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, we'll be able to discuss it at an in person event at some point in twenty twenty one. Oh man, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> um. Daryl, how are things going at Hard Numbers? Six, what are you, seven months in now? Yeah, I, I said to Richard yesterday, I've got to have uh, naked baby pictures of the devil or something. I don't know what it is because, uh, you know, we're absolutely flying. It's gone better than I could have possibly hoped or, or dreamed. It's it's down in no small part, I think, to, you know, maybe the, the, the brand and the proposition kind of feels right for the time in which we're operating. And, you know, people want to to see hard numbers, they want to see a, a, a demonstrable return on their investment in PR marketing and communications, you know, um, but it's also down to the hard work and the brilliance of the team, you know, um, from, you know, Paul, my, the creative director and my business partner through to everyone else in the agency, you know, they, they're just um, a great uh, team of people who, despite really challenging circumstances, you know, we've never all met, you know, face -to -face. we've never all been in a room together Wow. Any, you know, any of that kind of stuff that kind of you know, roll the sleeves up and really apply themselves to uh, the challenges that our clients have and, and the challenges that we have as a business have been really inspiring. So, yeah, we're um, we're going gangbusters and, and long may that continue, though, I'm sure um, it can't forever. But, uh, yeah, it's great. Thank you. Oh, I'm so pleased. It's always good to hear. There's been so many uh, startups over the past year and Everyone seems, all of them seems to be doing quite well, but Hard Numbers does definitely stand out, but you're very, very good at plugging yourselves on social media, it has mm -hmm. to be said. So, um, <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Richard, what's on the agenda at Karma and Amec this year? Where is there work to do? 
Oh, where's the work to do? Well, um, well, let's talk first about my my day job, which of course is the the, the karma business. So I've been there for for two years now, a bit of time before the pandemic, and then largely in the pandemic. Um, and again, you know, going back to my original point, I'm just grateful that uh, the business is going well. We're building a fantastic team. I think the time for Karma's services is is now. Um, our whole approach in in, in America and in, in Europe is around supporting organizations at that more sophisticated level who really need and understand that they need to prove their value in a meaningful way. And how do you do that? And so we consult with them. Um, we help them shape a, a, a meaningful um, approach to measurement. And, and, and that message, you know, as Daryl was saying, that the, the time is right for that. People are understanding that just counting vanity metrics, impressions, you know, click counts, AVEs, those type of things, that's the past. We have to prove value by, by linking to organization objectives. I'm in huge awe of the team, just like Daryl said. Um, you know, we get glimpses into colleagues' bedrooms and you realize that so many people are working in flats, um, you know, having to stay in their bedroom all day to, to work. And, and they're all um, applying themselves incredibly well and making sure that our clients are getting fantastic service. So, you know, from that point of view, fantastic. We're busier than ever, we're growing, and I think we're, we're very, very lucky. From an Amec point of view, I mean, that all kind of ladders up. So I've been chairman of, of AMEC for coming up for five years and I've got one more year um, to go. I've been involved with it for the full 25 years it's existed and it's always stood for promotion of best practice, educational initiatives to support the industry to do stuff better. Um, so I was one of the drivers between, uh, behind the, the framework, but of course your listeners will know um, the Barcelona principles as well, which we refreshed this year, their third iteration. Uh, we have the measurement maturity mapper, which is a fantastic tool um, for, for, for people to use as well. And this year is going to be about um, what I think is a, a critical gap, which is if PR professionals don't set a meaningful plan with clear objectives of what it is that they need to achieve, you can't measure in a meaningful way. Mm. And I remember having a um, meeting uh, with Chatham House Rule with, at, at the CIPR many, many years ago. And this has always um, you know, stayed with me. There's a, a group of very senior PR professionals. And one of them said, uh, listen, guys, let's face it. Um, the dirty secret of the PR industry is that we just do stuff and we don't make proper plans. And I thought, you know, that is, and I'm an ex-PR pro myself. I thought that's so right. We get involved in activity and doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. Um, and then if you do that, all you do is count stuff. Mm. Um, and actually you need to take a step back and say, why are we doing this? What are the dials that we're trying to turn? And that's the importance of planning. And if you can think when you're planning, about what it is you're trying to achieve. That's how you link the measurement. And that's why planning and measurement are so critical. So Amex is going to be working on um, our planning initiatives and um, our summit in May this year. So I hope that um, any of the listeners who are, who are interested in measurement and evaluation um, will be able to join us. Of course, it's going to be virtual, unfortunately, but um, it will be a great event on all topics, measurement and evaluation in May. Fantastic. If I could just uh, give a really quick shout out, actually, uh, my, you know, the um, AMEC measurement framework is just 
the best place to start always with with a, a, any kind of PR marketing communications activity that you do you know we we've I've kind of most of our team members I think have got it tattooed on their uh, on their arm um, you know uh, and, and we just find it's a great you know start start with the objective and the outcome that you want and you, then you work back from that okay so what is then the you know the outtakes that we want the audience to have what's the you know um, outputs, you know, the activities that we're going to do, what are the things that we're going to create, you know, you just kind of work back from the objective and the, the ultimate aim of, the, you know, the, the activity. And, you know, it just makes everything a lot easier from there. You know, it doesn't guarantee success, but it definitely gives you a, a you know, a brilliant kind of North Star to be aiming at. And um, I cannot recommend um, the AMEC um, integrated measurement framework highly enough. That's a good plug. Um <laughs> Finally, guys, back to you as human beings, not just robots uh, of measurement, giants of measurement. Tell me one habit or hobby or interest you've taken up in lockdown that you're going to either take into post-lockdown life or ditch as soon as possible. Richard, I'm going to start with you. Uh, well, in the spirit of being honest, um, the sort of major lockdown in the summer last year, I thought I'm an overweight middle-aged man. <laughs> um, I probably ought to try and lose some weight. So I was doing plenty of activity and my weight was going in the right direction. Um, this lockdown, uh, it's too blooming cold and I'm too busy. So I've, I've started boozing too hard. So I've been making lots of Negronis and Bloody Marys and posting pictures of them on my Instagram page. Um, so they are they're things that I hope not to take beyond uh, beyond beyond lockdown um, too 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 hard. But I'm doing a lot of cooking, which I enjoy, and that that actually I find a great de-stressor. It's not something new. I've always I've always liked to cook, but it it clears my mind. And uh, my wife is very much enjoying my raspberry souffles at the moment. That sounds amazing. That's like mm. proper skills. I agree with you, actually. And the making of the cocktail and the chopping of the onion is the thing that is like the only differentiator of the day. So now I'm 100%. Well, I'm a typical bloke, so I can't multitask. If I'm chopping an onion, that's all I can think about. Negroni <laughs> <laughs> first, always. Daryl, what, what about you? Don't tell me you've been doing like awfully like virtuous things. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you two answers actually. So uh, I, I mean, like uh, as Richard was alluding to, I mean I've put on probably I don't know just going from two stages in the, in the first kind of uh, one and a half um, bits of lockdown, and I realised I needed to do something about it. So I bought a Peloton. Uh, I'm that guy. How do you know someone owns a Peloton? They will tell you that about guy. it. Very quickly. That guy uh, yeah, and uh, you know that has been brilliant. And there's loads of people across the PR industry and you know, clients of mine and things like that who are on Peloton. Who um, there's an amazing community there, and that is an amazing community built brand that I, I take my hat off to. But I, I found it personally, you know, a, a brilliantly, a, a just fantastic thing. There's, it just removes all the excuses for exercising. It's just there. I can, you know, I'm very fortunate that I live in a big enough house with lots of room for it and all the rest of it. But it's, it's there. I can do it every day. And uh, my fiance is now at the stage of recovery from uh, from giving birth to our, our second our little baby boy Hudson. That she's uh, uh, just started on it as well, and she's uh, just as enthusiastic about it as, as I am. So. That's, you know, the kind of positive, maybe, thing that I'm doing. Um, like Richard as well, I've been banging to my cooking. I have mastered, and this is a big chat, 
and I know you're two very good cooks yourself, but I think I can back this up. I have mastered uh, the roast chicken dinner now, mm. and it is um, a you know something that I'm very proud of, um, and I look forward very very fondly to a time when. I can invite people around uh, to to enjoy and marvel at my roast chicken dinner, uh, in the, uh, um, and and give it the audience it, it deserves because I've, I've I've got it nailed. I'm, I will look forward to that immensely. And Richard, do you want to bring along some strawberry souffles for afterwards? Is that, is that yeah, fun? why not? And and my wife, being French, she will bring the uh, cheese course as well. So oh, she's I'll a bring starter, um, some seafood of some kind. I can't promise, I was going to get some, my first tattoo this year because I'm like, obviously having a midlife lockdown crisis. I can't promise it's going to be the AMEC framework. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> but, um, it's been so lovely chatting to you guys. Thank you so much for your time. It's a great report. I'll put a link to the download on the, on the uh, website when we post the podcast, but thank you both so much for your time today. And um yeah, good luck with uh, the continuing, the ongoing uh, situation. And I'll speak to you in real life very soon. Thank you, you very bet. much. Look forward to it. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.